Hello, it's David here, and thank you for listening to The Leader. If you've been here before, why not subscribe? We've got loads of interesting interviews and features coming up, so make sure you don't miss any of them, and give us a rating too. Now, from the Evening Standard in London, this is The Leader. Hi, I'm David Marsland. Local lockdowns and pauses on some national restriction lifting. What's happening with coronavirus in the UK? I'm certainly not exaggerating when I say this has come as a shock to to lots of people. None of us really saw that coming last night. I was looking at my phone, gone nine o'clock at night, thinking, oh my goodness. We speak to the Evening Standard, Sophia Slay, after some dramatic moves by the government. And... Something does need to be done. I'm not sure whether a tax is the best solution it's probably better than doing nothing right now tech expert joshua lowcock as facebook apple and amazon post massive profits despite the lockdown should they be broken up Taken from the Evening Standard's editorial column, this is The Leader. For the whole thing, pick up the newspaper or head to standard.co.uk slash comment. In a moment, what's going on with the UK's coronavirus response? Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. The order came in a tweet sent after nine o'clock last night from the Health Secretary's account. Local lockdowns would be coming into force in Greater Manchester, parts of West Yorkshire and East Lancashire with barely three hours notice. That was news to the Mayor of Leicester, Sir Peter Salisbury. Even now, there's a, a number of questions about travel and other, other aspects of this that uh, you know haven't been spelt out. And, uh, of course, the people of Leicester are turning to, to me, to the council, and, and saying, well, you know, what can we can't... And what can't we do and, and when can we do it? Uh, and the answer to that is, well, uh, we'll let you know as soon as the government tells us. But the government wasn't done yet. This afternoon, Boris Johnson went back to the Downing Street podium to announce some of the national restrictions that were due to be lifted would now carry on. Until the 15th of August at the earliest, casinos, bowling alleys, skating rinks and the remaining close contact services must remain closed. Indoor performances will not resume. Pilots of larger crowds in sports venues and conference centres will not take place. And wedding receptions of up to 30 people will not be permitted. But ceremonies, of course, can continue to take place in line with COVID secure guidelines. 
Last night, Matt Hancock wrote on Twitter that he had to move swiftly after seeing the data. We now know the government's advisory group does not have confidence that the crucial R number is still below one in England. Mr Hancock also said last night that his lockdown was largely due to households meeting and not abiding to social distancing. Our editorial column hopes London takes notice. The logic of using limited localised curbs to keep the virus under control is sensible enough. But we hope it isn't necessary in the capital, and at least two things need to happen to ensure that it doesn't. The first is for ministers to be far clearer in their messaging about what the rules are. Constant changes in what's permitted make it hard even for people determined to comply. More important is personal responsibility. Social distancing, regular handwashing and avoiding unlawful large gatherings are as important as ever. The fight against coronavirus continues and everyone must play their part. Well, our political reporter Sophia Slay is with me now. And Sophia, if people were starting to get a bit lax after lockdown, this is all probably going to come as a bit of a shock to them. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm certainly not exaggerating when I say this has come as a shock to, to lots of people. None of us really saw that coming last night. I was looking at my phone, go, you know, not, gone nine o'clock at night thinking, oh my goodness. We didn't see it coming. The, the government has come under a lot of criticism for, for the way that that was announced overnight. It was sort of a flurry of tweets from the health secretary, Matt Hancock, and a, a pulled video clip that went out to the broadcasters. Um, and it sort of, you know, left everyone a little bit shocked, not really knowing how to deal with it, not really knowing what to say. Um, I, I think the criticism in terms of the announcement is fair. It could have been a little bit better. It could, you know, it came as a huge shock to people. However, I think, you know, you can't criticise the government for, for acting. You know, this is part of Boris Johnson's whack-a-mole approach, he described it where, you know, you're going to have to expect these localised lockdowns where there's a spike, they're going to have to crack down on it. And we were warned about that. It's just the way this announcement came out was quite a shock and, and they've come under criticism for. Yeah, it was barely three hours notice before the restrictions came in. And Matt Hancock was pretty clear that he was saying it was caused by households meeting and uh, not abiding by social distancing rules. But then again, as our editorial column has pointed out today, no one's really clear about what is and isn't allowed at the moment, are they? Yeah, there's, there's still huge confusion. You know, when I speak to my friends and family, they don't know what's the right rules and what's not. I think, you know, the government says use your common sense and people are to a certain extent, but we've been encouraged to go back to work, we've been encouraged to go shopping and return to a level of normal life again. And we're seeing these spikes again. So it's, it's, it's no surprise in a way. And the Health Secretary has acknowledged that bringing these restrictions in, in, in parts of the north of England is going to be really disruptive, particularly with Eid underway. Yeah, one aspect that's, that's quite sad about this announcement is it will have an impact on uh, many Muslim communities that are celebrating Eid this weekend. The official guidelines basically recommend that where possible religious celebrations and services should take place outdoors and hopefully a lot of people with the nice hot weather will be able to have celebrations in parks and things like that. I, I understand some imams have arranged things in parks. Um, I mean you can still still go to the mosque and things like that you know because they have social distancing in place 
Um, but it's it's sad for I think a lot of families would have met you know round each other's houses this weekend to celebrate and spend time together. So it's taken that aspect away for many people. But hopefully with the hot weather, you know, they can can work around it by meeting in parks because you are allowed to meet other families and friends socially distanced in a park in those areas. And Sophia, one story that's kind of gone on throughout the pandemic was the issue over care homes. And you've been covering some new developments in that today, haven't you? Yeah, it's it's another tough one. I mean, you know, there's so many families out there that really want to go and see their elderly relatives, their grandparents, their mums, their dads, their aunties in care homes. But uh, care bosses have basically said, said today and yesterday that they are unlikely to allow visits for, for weeks and weeks yet, they think, because basically what's happened is the government has withdrawn a home testing kit that was being used in the residential care sector. And the government said, you know, these aren't up to standard. We're going to find an alternative. We'll come back to you. But the problem is, is in order to allow visitors into care homes, you need to have that testing in place. Um, So, you know, care home bosses are quite worried about this and, you know, it's going to have an impact on, you know, poor residents that haven't seen, you know, their families for weeks and weeks. I know there's there's obviously some care homes that have got gardens and I know that some have had sort of socially distanced visits where they've got, you know, they put relatives in PPE and things like that, but not everywhere can do that. And, you know, that relies on the hot weather as well. Next. There's an urgent need for regulation of the sector overall. You look at everything from data collection and just general privacy issues. Joshua Lowcock, should the big tech companies be regulated? Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. This week, Facebook, Amazon, Apple and Google sat before the US Congress and denied they were too big for competition to thrive. Now they've posted their financial figures to the markets. And in the three months to June, that's during the height of the pandemic lockdowns, Amazon's profits doubled to more than $5 billion. Apple's revenues up 11% to nearly $60 billion. Facebook blew past analysts' estimates with nearly $19 billion in revenue. And Google's had a not bad pandemic too. Its parent company Alphabet saw profits up 3% 
to nearly $7 billion. Well, joining me now is a tech expert, Joshua Lowcock from UM Worldwide. Joshua, I wonder what Congress would have made of these figures if they'd been out when the tech bosses were sitting in front of them. I think there would have been a different tone of conversation, particularly because we're coming to the end of a social media boycott. And so questions might have been asked, why has there been so little financial impact because of the boycott? Why has there been so little financial impact, not just because of the boycott, but during this pandemic at all? I mean, there's a number of reasons. If you look to the sort of, I'll say the optimistic side of their business, the pandemic's been a boon for e-commerce. And so online advertising and driving e-commerce sales naturally lends itself to digital advertising. I think the other one, and Mark Zuckerberg called it out in his results call, which is the long tail of advertising actually represents the bulk of their revenue. So even though small to medium businesses have been hit hard by the pandemic, they do continue to advertise. And that represents, you know, a significant portion of where they get their income. Amazon doubled its profits while other even large supermarkets were struggling through this pandemic. Is that a case in point that companies like Amazon are too big and competition can't survive? I don't think it's a case in point. Online delivery was just a big important factor for everyone when you weren't able to leave home. If anything, there's a lesson for all retailers out of that, which is you need to be much more active and competitive in the online delivery space. If companies the scale of Amazon, Facebook, Google aren't broken up, should there be more regulation on them anyway? I think there's an urgent need for regulation of the sector overall. You look at everything from data collection and just general privacy issues. And I know we have GDPR and in the US, California's brought in CCPA. The other big question mark over all of them is just how vertically integrated they are, whether that's cloud-based computing, to ad serving, to the data and algorithms that make decisions about what gets shown. All of those things are so much of a black box as well there's a need for oversight on that. In Australia, they've just passed a new law that will force companies like Google to pay news providers. Is that the right way to go? Will that protect media companies? I don't know if it'll go the way of protecting media companies. I'm a firm believer in supporting news and journalism in its entirety. And you look at in the UK, there was the Cross review that looked at the impact that large digital companies had on social media or social media had on news organizations, and they called it a market failure. It actually gets back to your earlier comment and question, which is the bulk of the revenue for these social media platforms comes from the mid to long tail. That was traditionally the revenue source for news organizations. Something does need to be done. I'm not sure whether a tax is the best solution. The problem with the tax is it's very easy for the platforms to opt out of doing what they do, which is aggregating news and engaging with news-based organisations. So the Australian regulation is based on the concept that aggregating news like google.com to google.co.uk slash news is actually taking traffic away from news publishers. For all intents and purposes, Google can make a decision to no longer do that and sort of somewhat, you know, absolve itself of legitimately having to be taxed. Is it possible for a new Facebook to arrive on the scene or would they get swallowed up by the current Facebook? I mean, there were some suggestions that Mark Zuckerberg bought Instagram just to stop it being competition. I, the opening statement by David Cicillin was actually very apt because there's always the opportunity for competition to emerge, but the existence of competitors doesn't actually equal competition is something I'm always keen to stress. 
And you have to keep in mind that one of the big powers of the internet is the network effect. So an alternative to Facebook isn't really a genuine competitive threat or an alternative to Instagram or Google search because they benefit from the volume of usage, the fact that your friends and you know work colleagues are on there and the absolute collection of data and insights which enables those platforms to get better. In, in an abstract sense, yes, an alternative can emerge. Could it be a genuine competitive threat? I mean, TikTok, you could argue, might suggest that, but TikTok has its own headwinds. Are we likely to see more legislation against these companies in the near future then across the world, like we've seen coming up with Australia, like America is clearly considering? I mean, France has floated the idea of taxing social media companies to fund news. So I think that will gain momentum because there's a genuine legitimate concern about defunding of news organizations. I think regulatory intervention into the platforms in terms of breaking up will be hard because they're global entities. So I encourage regulatory oversight. I wonder what impact a breakup decision in one market can have when truly these are global companies headquartered in the US. So the US needs to lead the fray. I think the one that will be legitimately challenged and investigated by everyone is news as a category and the influence of these platforms and misinformation. And that's something that can be addressed on a local market by market basis because everyone has different laws around misinformation, libel and censorship. And just finally, are we expecting these companies you know, even a pandemic can't stop Amazon. Are we expecting these companies to just get bigger? Uh, in the absence of oversight and regulation, absolutely. And that's The Leader. You can read more on these stories in the newspaper or at standard.co.uk. This podcast is back on Monday at 4pm.